Hey, good morning, and welcome back to another episode of Sitting at the Feet of Jesus. Um, sitting here this morning, uh, watching the uh, local news, and um, I am glad to inform you that the midterm elections are finally over. Uh, I feel like the campaign ads are starting uh, early and earlier. The campaign cycle is longer and longer, and I don't know about you, but I am uh, I am glad that the midterm elections are finally over. I think they're still waiting on some states to uh, to finalize, but uh, it seems like every channel you turn to, um, at least over the last three or four weeks, uh, there's some type of campaign ad that's on TV. And the core message behind each of these ads, uh, I think, is there's this candidate who has an idea and they want to lead you and I, uh, as the American public, in a certain direction. And they want us to follow them. You know, follow me, I'm for change. Follow me, I'm for some type of fiscal policy. Follow me, I'm for social justice. Follow me means something, that phrase. Now, if I were to tell you this morning, follow me, some of you guys would, uh, you know, line up fully expecting me to lead you somewhere. Others others of you who are uh, more tech savvy, you guys would probably whip out your smartphone you would jump on social media and click a button to follow me because the phrase follow me in a digital age of social media means something. Follow me describes this relationship between a leader and a follower. And I th- and if you think about it, a leader isn't really a leader unless he or she has followers, right? And a follower isn't really a follower until they have chosen who will lead them. So it got me to think this past week, who am I following? Or perhaps a better way to look at that same question is, who am I allowing to lead me? Not just in the civic sense, like uh, politicians or government officials, but also in the religious sense, like our pastors, our preachers, and our teachers, even authors and podcast people. Who am I following? It's an important question to consider because we'll see in the text here this morning of Micah chapter 3 that ungodly leadership will lead to God's wrath. So who you follow matters. So you have your Bibles this morning. Go ahead and turn with me to Micah chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. If you haven't studied the book of Micah before, man, what a fabulous book this is. However, there's not a lot known about Micah himself, right? Other than what it tells us here at the beginning of the text, Micah, his name means who is like Yahweh. But really, really the book itself reveals little to no personal details about Micah. It does say that he has this connection to Moresheth Gath, which is about 22 miles southwest of Jerusalem and about nine miles east of Gath. We know that He prophesied for about 63 years during the reign of three people, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And he prophesied both to the northern and the southern kingdoms. Um, Interestingly enough, Micah is not even called a prophet, right? He functions as a prophet, and his objective is to call God's people back into covenant faithfulness, but he's not really referred to as a prophet. The first couple of chapters of Micah, uh, chapters 1 and 2, tell us that the civic and spiritual leaders at this time were corrupt and greedy and oppressive and unjust 
And does does that sound like anybody today, friends? The civic and spiritual leaders were greedy, oppressive, corrupt, and unjust. And Micah's mission, Micah's call, I don't want you to miss this, is for 63 years, his job is to get up every day and go out to a crowd that doesn't want to hear his message and to call them back into alignment with God's covenant. He's, his message is one of your sinning, you've gone off the rails, come back into covenant faithfulness. I love, I love chapter three as it begins. It has a, a, a chiastic structure. I don't know if, we, if we've talked about that before. Those uh, people that are here in Houston in my Bible study class, we often talk about the importance of reading the Bible, uh, not only just in the, in the English translation, but also if you know the original uh, languages like Hebrew or Greek, that it's also important to look at the Bible as a literary piece of information so that we, as we read the Bible, we see these patterns. A chiasm is one that, that kind of uh, the outer pieces match and then it kind of works its way towards the middle with an emphasis on passages or verses that, that the author is really wanting to stress. In, in these first 12 verses, the first four and the last four match. They both start with this term, uh, shamo. This is a hear or listen. It's, it's a call uh, to talk and address these corrupt leaders. The center four verses, verses five through eight, shift gears and they focus squarely on false prophets. And so while both, both the leaders and the prophets are addressed in this, what the author is really doing by formatting this in a chiastic structure is it wants to focus us on the false prophets. Let me go ahead and read Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Y'all, this is from the New Living Translation. If you're new to reading the Bible, man, I'm just going to tell you uh, the New Living Translation, I love it. Just a little easier to listen to, a little bit easier to understand. Here's Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It says, I listen. Listen, you leaders of Israel, you are supposed to know right from wrong, but you are the very ones who hate good and love evil. You skin my people alive and tear the flesh from their bones. Yes, you eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, break their bones, you chop them up like meat from or like meat for a cooking pot. Then you beg the Lord for help in times of trouble. Do you really expect him to answer? After all the evil that you've done, he won't even look at you. So, so Micah begins here in these first four verses calling out the leaders of Israel. And it's, it's interesting that this, these particular verses focus on their sins, really, instead of the judgment of those sins. You know, there's an allusion to the judgment in, in verse 4, but, but really the focus is squarely on this... Uh, I want to say these uh, heinous acts here, verse one through three, which we should we should take as a vivid, figurative description, not a literal description. Micah is saying uh, to these leaders, to these rulers, to these judges of I- Israel, this is what you were guilty of, and so he starts with this call to hear or to listen, and he reminds them of the responsibility that they are to know and do justice. This this verse. 
this translation uses this term right and wrong, but this is idea, this idea is one of justice where during Micah's time, if somebody had a grievance with somebody else, they would take that matter, unlike us, to the courts. They would go to the city gate, and the city gate is where the, these judges would be, where these rulers would be. The leaders would listen to the grievance, and then they would make a, a judgment based upon what they believe. And he's saying that, that these guys are corrupt, and they are actively taking I don't want you to miss this this is not a this is not a sin of omission but one of of commission right they are actively taking part verse 2 says that they they are haters of good and lovers of evil it's the exact opposite of what they should be doing the ones who are supposed to know justice hate everything that justice stands for and we see the use here of these this participles that, that, that Mike was using here to show the hatred of love and good. This is an ongoing act. This is not a one-time instance. It's saying you guys are continuing, continual lovers of evil and continually hating good, right? This is, this is characterizing them. These leaders who had a greater responsibility are characterized by their evil actions this is not a, a a momentary bad choice. This is a characterization. Just listen to the and, and understand, y'all. This is a figurative description, but listen to the verbs that are being used here: tear, eat, strip off, break, and chop. Right. Instead of shepherding these people, instead of leading these people, these civic leaders and judges are are pictured here as exploiting and oppressing the very people that are coming to them for help. Almost in this picture of animals being led to, you know, the slaughter or to being butchered and cooked and prepared for for eating, it's just a really heinous picture. Then verse four says, "Then you know, and at that time, here refers to the time of judgment. So when that day comes, the guilty leaders will cry out to the Lord for help in their time of need, but He, the Lord, will not respond." Right, a just retribution on those who refuse to respond to the cry of the poor and the needy. The Lord here will hide His face. This hiding of the face, uh, y'all, is a is a dire threat in the Old Testament. Right, it is it is God's unavailability in His ref- active refusal to help such a heartless people. Verse five goes on to say here: This is the center part that now deals not with the leaders, but but shifts focus to the false prophets. Listen here, verses five through eight. It says, this is what the Lord says. You false prophets are leading my people astray. You promise peace for those who give you food, but you declare war on those who refuse to feed you. Now the night will close around you, cutting off all your visions. Darkness will cover you, putting an end to your predictions. The sun will set for you prophets and your day will come to an end. Then you seers will be put to shame, and you fortune tellers will be disgraced, and you will cover your faces because there is no answer from God. But as for me, this is Micah speaking here in verse 8, but as for me, I am filled with power. With the Spirit of the Lord, I am filled with justice and strength to boldly declare Israel's sin and rebellion. Right, we see here in this this second stanza, the second set of verses here, it's shifting away from the false leaders to the false prophets and their sin against Yahweh and the people. False prophets here are singled out here for the many ways that they misrepresent 
Yahweh, right? It says, while both the leaders and the false prophets face judgments for their actions, right? There's a heavier focus, y'all, of judgment against the false prophets because their, their job, their function was to speak for the Lord, yet what they're doing is they're misrepresenting the very word of God. They're accused of this very serious sin, verse 5 said, that they're leading their people astray. They provided a spiritual path for the people. That was what their function was. They were claiming that their words were true, yet they weren't, and they were actively misrepresenting themselves and misrepresenting Yahweh. And friends, let me just tell you, this isn't just happening in Micah's time. This is happening today. This is happening in the American church. We really have to watch who we follow when it comes to our religious leaders. And I'll get to that more as we talk about our application. But but this is the call of Michael. He's, he's calling for reformation. He's saying, you false prophets are actively leading my people away. You were originally called to shepherd them, but now you're doing the exact opposite. You're, you're basically holding them hostage because these people... Y'all, they believed that the that the prophet's words actually carried power, right? There was weight behind them. Their pronouncement of curses or blessings they thought became a reality. And if they refused to give in to the prophet's demands, right, they would be cursed. That's where this, this verse comes back saying, here you promise peace for those who give you food, but you declare war, verse 5 tells us, on those who refuse to feed you, right? This is what the the... the false prophets had come to in these days. If you wanted a favorable blessing, you you paid them. And if you couldn't pay them, what they would do is they would curse you. As long as the people were feeding the false prophets, either with food or with bribes, they were content and they would therefore give a favorable prophecy. But if they were not happy with what was given to them, then they would show their true colors. And in this term, war, war is prepared against those who do not pay up, right? The resulting judgment, verse 6, says, Therefore, against these false prophets, listen to what happens. All their prophetic abilities are removed. The prophets will be cast into night and into darkness, which means that they will be unable to receive or make up prophecies, just as one loses the ability to see at night, right, with no artificial light, so too will these people lose their ability to have visions. Right, similar to the judgment that they will lose their, their ability to, to see visions, which says also here they're going to lose their ability to do divination. The very thing that they were relying on to conjure up some type of divination, God is going to remove that for them. It says that the sun will set on them. This means that their time has come. They will no longer be able to do the very things that they were doing to lead the people astray. And it says that they will be ashamed and embarrassed, right? This is when people come to them for help. They won't be able to help them anymore. The very function, the very thing that gave these people authority and power as prophets, God is going to remove and it's going to shame them and embarrass them. It's just it's just a, a description of how far these prophets have slid. It says verse 8, however, is this contrast to the false prophets. We see Micah here says he is empowered by the Spirit to endure great opposition. And he is set apart from the false prophets in his justice and his strength. Y'all, this is this is Micah who for 63 years gets up and 
and preaches a uh, an unpopular message to a crowd that doesn't want to hear it. And I think to ourselves today, uh, when we when we go to a church or you hear a preacher and there's no talk of sin and there's no talk of hell and there's no correction and it's just all about God's love, uh, that that friends is not the full counsel of God. And so what we have to do is we have to have a balanced a balanced approach, a balanced preaching of God's word, which which preaches the full counsel. Um, because what's happening here in Micah's time is still happening in our day, right? We still have preachers that are out preaching a message that people want to hear, that makes them feel good, that makes them believe they're living their best life now, that sin doesn't really matter. They minimize sin. We're not going to talk about hell because nobody wants to hear that. They want to preach a message that, as the Bible says, tickles the ears, that makes people feel good. When what what God is really desiring is for his people to be brought back into covenant faithfulness. And it says here that, that Micah is empowered by the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, to endure this great opposition that he faces, right? He has been given these specific traits for a very specific purpose, and that's to stand before Yahweh's covenantal people, both the northern and the southern kingdoms, and condemn their sins. God has equipped him very well for this unpopular task that he has to go back and forth for 63 years to confront these people, to confront the leadership of just how far they've strayed from where God has called them. Let's finish up here in these uh, last few verses here. Listen listen with me here to uh, Micah chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. It says, Listen to me, you leaders of Israel. You hate justice and twist all that is right. You are building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. You rulers make decisions based on bribes. You priests teach God's law only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy unless you are paid. Yet all of you claim to depend upon the Lord. No harm can come to us, you say, for the Lord is here among us. Because of you, Mount Zion will be plowed like an open field. Jerusalem will be reduced to ruins. A thicket will grow on the heights of where the temple now stands. Right. So now we, we see the, the focus shift back away from the false prophets. This is the bottom half of the chiastic structure. Back to the leaders. And it describes exactly how corrupt the justice and the religious systems have come. Listen, look here with me, verse 11 this is, it's just shocking, right? But it gives us this, this contrast. This is the leaders, here's what God's idea was, right? That the leaders were to maintain social justice, but instead what the leaders were doing is they were perverting social justice. The priests were to educate the people about Yahweh and his covenant, but here what they were doing is they were, they were teaching what the rich wanted to hear. The prophets were to communicate God's word to the people, but here the prophets were blocking the true words of Yahweh in favor of crafting a, uh, a a more favorable message for payment. What a what a horrible picture being displayed here. It's it's really the exact opposite of what Yahweh is commanding. It's what these people are doing, and probably the most revolting thing about all this is is they're they're saying here that yeah yeah look here. God is with us, right? Verse 11, the end of verse 11, no harm will come 
no harm will come to us. Yahweh is in our midst. They're saying Yahweh approves of everything that we're doing here. In fact, he approves it so much that they claim nothing bad. Nothing bad is going to happen to us. We're, we're basically untouchable. That's what these leaders are saying. And it says here, verse 12, however, here's the judgment. The leaders have caused this judgment to come upon the entire land. Zion, Jerusalem represents both the city and the nation. Both will be destroyed. Zion, Jerusalem, the mountain of the house, right? This, this uh, triple repetition drives home the severity and the breadth of this judgment. The center of Israel's religious life will face severe penalty for their faithlessness. So understand, y'all, it, it's what's happening is the leaders were corrupt and they were leading the people astray. And now both the leaders and the people are going to have to pay for that covenant unfaithfulness. So, so what do we do with a message like this today for you and I? And this is where I get to the, the application portion. And it's so relevant today. Uh, I, I had a chance to meet somebody uh, over the last couple of weeks, and they were talking about their relatively new Christian, new believer. And we were just talking about the different people that we listen to, the different preachers that we listen to. And they, they mentioned some particular person's name, which I won't repeat, but this person is a prosperity gospel preacher. He's the new face of this uh, of this movement, which has been around forever, and it is a is a false gospel message. And and I had to tell this young man. I just had said, "Wow, is that is that who you're listening to?" And I was trying to think of how do I address this in love, but also teach truth, right? Because what we want to do is we want to prod people to to just not blindly follow somebody. Because who you follow matters, right? And I just had said, hey, why do you like this particular fellow? Why do you listen to him? Oh, he's a dynamic speaker. You know, he's passionate. And and he, and he preaches out of the Bible, right? That's what he says. He uses the Bible. And I said, well, that's great. So I said, I would. what I would do is I would encourage you when you listen to his message to take notes and then to take those notes and go back to your Bible, make sure that lines up. Because friends, here's what happens. Here's what happens uh, with with false teachers and false preachers. They they take the word of God and they twist it. And and it's not a I want you to I want you to understand this with me. It is often not a radical twisting, right? Something that would be so heretical, right? You it, they would never say something like I believe in God, but we know that Jesus is not the son of God. They would never say that because friends, you and I both, we, we all know that is not true. But what they do is they'll take something biblical and twist it just slightly to where if you're not familiar with scripture, you'll go, oh yeah, that makes sense. That sounds, it sounds biblical. But if you don't take that information back and you don't, like, like the Bereans used to do, you know, uh, compare it, study it, go back to your Bible. We really have to be careful who we follow. That's 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 one of the application points today. As as people who who often this is what we do is we we follow teachers or preachers or podcasters or authors. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody go, "Oh, I'm going to go to so and so's retreat because they're holding this retreat, and this 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 man or this lady are coming. They're going to speak and and." And I'll, and I'll often say, well, hey, what does that person stand for? Have you done any research? Do you know who, 
you know, who they're associating. So what are their beliefs? Because what happens is oftentimes what we do is we get wrapped up in somebody's popularity and we listen, we go, oh yeah, that's, that person's great because a lot of other people are listening to them versus just let's see what this person's about. And I encourage everybody to do that. I encourage my own, my own Bible study class that I teach. I said, listen to what I'm teaching and then go home and compare it to the word of God. That's for the followers. It's very, very important that you consider which religious leaders you're following because there's many wolves in sheep's clothing within the church. Those wolves will be held accountable one day also. But in the meantime, you and I as followers, we have to be on alert, okay? The second part of this application goes to leaders, right? So the first part is uh, as us as followers. But the second part is leaders. This this passage really should give leaders, both civic leaders and religious leaders, serious pause. And what I mean by that is that we should seriously consider our responsibilities as leaders and whether or not we're abusing those. And I'm not saying that we're actively abusing, that we're conscious, but we really ought to understand the gravity that comes with especially those who preach or teach the Word of God. And I really want to land on those guys this morning, myself included. That position was given by the Lord to you and I. And one day you and I will be called to account for how well or or frankly, how poorly we accomplish that role that the Lord has given us. So I ask you today, are you faithfully carrying out the duties of the leadership role that God has called you and placed you in? Are we leading people by the power of the Spirit, being strengthened by the Spirit when we face opposition? Are we called to teach truth and love well? And and friends, are we doing that as leaders? Not just religious leaders, but friends, if you're over somebody, if you're a leader over somebody, if you're a manager over somebody, are you are you leading that person well? This passage in Micah strictly deals with the community, with the government, and the religious leaders during that time, but the biblical principles are still relevant today. Who we follow matters. The responsibility that comes with leadership is very sacred, and leaders are called by God for the good of the community. And, and friends, those leaders are given extra responsibility and are held accountable at a higher level. So who we follow matters. Let's be mindful this week of who we allow to lead us, both in our civic life in our religious life. Amen? Amen. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time.